The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. So Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. We looked at Hebrews 4, 11 through 16 last week, but I wanted to dive more into these really deep, precious verses. So Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, let's now give our attention. As it's God Himself, His very voice speaking to us in the Holy Scriptures. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help time need. This concludes the reading of God's holy word. May he be pleased now by the power of his spirit to add his blessing to it. Well, one of the questions that Pastor Doug will ask those whom he counsels is, how does God view you when you sin? It's a question you may have heard. It's a question I've brought up. But it's an important question. How would you answer it? Often our belief is that after we have fallen into sin, the only thing we should feel and expect is condemnation. Or perhaps not condemnation, but God's pretty upset with you at least until you smooth things over. The only thing you'll hear from Christ is the law. This is what you got wrong. God is displeased with you. Now repent by getting it right. And if you continue in this sin, you won't make it to heaven in the end. So the pressure is on. But the Bible says that one of the reasons that Jesus became incarnate is not only for Him to suffer for our sins, but also to suffer with us so that He would be a merciful and sympathetic high priest. Not only did our Lord become incarnate to suffer for us, to pay for our sins, but He also became incarnate to suffer with us. That is, to get a taste of the temptations, trials, difficulties, and infirmities that we experience. And this makes Him sympathetic to our weaknesses in this life. The author of Hebrews says this, so that we have confidence to draw near to our great high priest, even in our weaknesses, even in our temptations. And this is very important to the overarching argument of the book of Hebrews, which is, don't abandon your faith in Christ. Maybe some of you are tempted to abandon your faith in Christ even this morning. Maybe you're not, you haven't gone that far, but you really have withdrawn from God 
you don't really know that you can draw near to Him. Maybe you're struggling with sin or struggling with a certain sin uh, that's making you feel very guilty and ashamed. and You're wondering, am I even a believer? And that has caused you to withdraw from God. I can't draw near to Him until I get this handled. Until I get this cleaned up. He doesn't want to hear from me when I'm this dirty. And this is where our verses come in and say the opposite. Draw near to Him, even in your weaknesses, even in your temptations, because He is somebody who is sympathetic with our weaknesses. So we're going to look at three reasons that we can always come to Jesus with great confidence. No matter where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how hard we have fallen, no matter how dirty we are, we can always come to Him with confidence. First is access. The access we have. The second is afflictions. He uh, has suffered afflictions like ours. And third is acceptance, which we won't get to until the next Lord's Day. So first, uh, this access that we do have, you see in verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. When, I, when the Hebrew writer says, let us hold fast our confession, that confession of which he speaks is the confession that they would be familiar with. They had a confession. They had words that they would say out loud that they shared in agreement with one another. And the historical background is this confession of us is what they would have spoken together when they gathered together for corporate worship. The synagogue during the early church period and even before, they would meet in synagogues. These are like local churches because they couldn't all make it to Jerusalem. They had a, a certain worship that included the confession, which back then was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, along with others. But it was something that they would confess together, something that they believed in their heart, that they would say together with their mouth. Now that confession, the confession of us, as we saw at the beginning, of Hebrews 1 is Jesus, the great apostle and high priest of our confession. And so what the author is saying when he says, hold fast your confession, the stuff that you hear your brother say, the stuff that you confess with your mouth, keep believing in your heart. Don't just honor Him with your lips. Honor Him in your heart. Hold fast to that. Continue to believe that. Remember what you hear your brothers say. The things that you yourself say. Don't set it aside in your heart. And since the Holy Spirit is calling them to hold fast to it, cling to it, hang on for dear life to it, it demonstrates that it can be hard to hold fast to it. It can be hard to believe these things. Sometimes I think we get the sense of others are so spiritual, but I'm not. Or, or even in our pride, I'm so spiritual and others aren't. But we all struggle. We all have doubts. 
It can be hard to cling to this. The author is saying, hold fast. And here's why. One of the reasons for holding on to this faith with confidence is we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. He not only went into heaven, but it says he passed through the heavens. Now what's this referring to? Well, heavens can refer to two things. It can refer to the heaven of heavens, where God dwells, or heavens can refer to the sky above, where, where the birds are, and so forth and so on. And there was a replica made, according to Hebrews 9, called the tabernacle of heavenly things on earth. The tabernacle was an earthly copy of heavenly things. And there were three sections to that tabernacle or temple. You had the outer court. Then you had the first section called the holy place. And then you had the most holy place where God dwelt, where only the high priest could enter once a year on the great day of atonement. And when that priest would go in to make atonement, to sprinkle that blood on the great day of atonement, he would pass through that first section. And as a copy of the heavenly things, this refers to him passing through, or it signifies him passing through heaven into the heaven of heavens where God dwelt. Well, what the Levitical priests did in copy form, Christ has done in reality. Christ has passed through the heavens into the heaven of heavens, not only in his ascension, but when he offered up himself as the sacrifice by the eternal spirit. That offering was made to God, and God accepted his offering. Because we have this one as our great high priest, the one who has truly passed through the heavens, not the copies but the true realities, we can hold fast our confession. We can continue to believe the, the Christian truth. We can continue our faith in Christ. Remember what He has done, is what the author of Hebrews is saying. For who else has done it? Who else has ascended into heaven on high? Who else is seated at the right hand of God? Who else is raised from the dead? Who else has paid for sins? Because He is the one who has passed through the heavens. He is the one who is at the right hand of the Father on high, as Hebrews 1 began with. Let us continue to hold fast our confession. And because He has done this, we now have bold and confident access to God. We can draw near to God because we have one in our own flesh who has passed through the heavens as our forerunner, who is there at the Father's right hand, making intercession for us. Put it this way. Have you ever been invited to a party where you didn't know anyone? You probably would not take that invitation, but maybe it was something obligatory, some work thing, or would cause offense if you didn't go. But, but you're dreading it because you, you don't know anyone. And there's that fear of being an outcast. What if I come and I'm sitting all alone and I don't have anyone to talk to? And others see that and others start judging me for it. And, and I'm viewed as an outcast and I feel like an outcast. And that's not something I want to participate in. I think sometimes we could be more afraid of that than death itself. 
But then let's say you heard the news that your best friend is going to be there. And not only that, but your best friend is also in a high position. He's going to be in a high position at this party. And your best friend is also going to bestow on you public honor at this party. That would make you want to go. Well, this is the way it is with our great high priest. He is the one who has passed through the heavens, is seated at God's right hand, and who represents us there so that there is no condemnation or exclusion for us. And we will receive public honor and vindication on the day of judgment. Rather than arriving to heaven with the fear of being an outcast and being judged, Jesus, the one who loves us, the one who is sympathetic with us, is going to receive us and vindicate us on that day, bestowing on us public honor, presenting us to the Father with joy, saying, Behold, I and the children whom you have given me. And there's no escaping the invitation to this party, as it were. It's really the day of judgment. But thankfully, our great high priest has already passed through the heavens, is there waiting for us as our forerunner, making intercession for us. And has taken care of all our sin, clothed us with his own righteousness, will receive us to himself. If Jesus is your friend, if he is your Savior, then you will be safe. So since we have such access and representation with God in Christ, let us hold fast. Let us cling to our confession and faith in Him. The second reason that we can always come to Jesus with great confidence has to do with afflictions. That is, Christ has suffered with us. He has experienced our afflictions. It is true that Jesus is the exalted Son of God. It is true that He is the one who has passed through the heavens and is now seated at the place of highest honor, at the right hand of God. He is high, lofty, transcendent, great, and glorious. That might lead some to believe that He's not really that approachable. He's in the glories and comforts of heaven. Victorious and glorious. While we're just lowly creatures here on earth. Struggling. Suffering. Sinful. Is He even approachable? What confidence do I have to be able to approach Him? How can He possibly relate with us? This is actually the very thing that came up during the early church that they wrestled with. They saw Jesus as holy and exalted, which is of course correct and true. But this led them to the faulty conclusion that He is therefore unapproachable. That He cannot relate to weak, flawed, sinful people. 
And so this is what eventually led to the worship of Mary as co-redeemer. Or co-mediatrix. I didn't even say that right. Somebody can pronounce it later for me. You see, Jesus is holy and exalted. But Mary's a mother. And a mother's are compassionate and, and gentle and you no, know, she could smooth things over for you with Jesus because she's his mother is, the, is how the reasoning went. And so they began to believe in Mary as this co-redeemer, co-mediator, because they doubted Jesus' compassion and sympathy for sinners. And this is still the error that the Roman Catholic Church holds to today. But all they had to do was read and believe this verse here in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So part of the reason we are to hold fast to our faith in Christ, to persevere in believing and have great confidence to come to Him, it's not only because He is exalted and ascended into the heavens, having passed through the heavens in the position of high power for us, where He represents us, but also because He has experienced our lowly condition. Yes, He is in heaven with all its comforts, but He has also experienced the sufferings and sorrows on earth, and He has not forgotten them. He knows what it's like to go through a hard time. He knows what it's like to be greatly tried, severely discouraged, troubled in spirit, sorrowful to the point of death, persecuted, mistreated by religious people. This means that our high priest is not only holy, sinless, and exalted, but is also understanding and sympathetic with our weaknesses. Notice. I want you to notice this. It doesn't say with our strengths, but with our weaknesses. He is sympathetic. With our infirmities, with the things we struggle with, with the things that weigh us down. This causes Jesus not to be repulsed by us, but sympathetic towards us. This word sympathetic here it's composed of two Greek words, soon, which means with, it's a preposition that means with, and pathos, which means to suffer, have passions, to feel. It means to suffer with, to, to go through the same sufferings, to, to feel someone else's feelings, to, to be affected by something. John Owen defines this as to have a moving affection in ourselves upon the sufferings of another. So it's summed up in that old adage, I feel your pain. This is what sympathetic means. I remember talking with a combat soldier once who was really struggling. He had been overseas. He had struggled greatly with, with many things. And significant sufferings, saw death and destruction. And I tried to relate with him the best I could. But I realized I just could not. I had not experienced the things that he had experienced. 
However, a friend of mine who had gone through those same experiences was really able to relate with him. And this soldier was able to find great solace in someone who can relate with him, who completely understood his struggles and did not condemn him for it. And that actually caused him to be more open about them and to open up and become closer to this person who had experienced his similar struggles and sorrows. Brothers and sisters, this is the way it is with our great high priest. When we struggle, when we're discouraged, when we're weak, when we're frail, we come to Jesus who understands. This is because He sympathizes. He feels our pain. He understands what it is like. But oh, is this so hard to believe. The holy, righteous, perfect, exalted Jesus who is coming again to destroy sinners who has conquered can be sympathetic with my own weaknesses, with my own struggles. But the Scripture addresses our doubts with the double negative. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. Rather than just saying he's able to sympathize with us, the Scripture puts more emphasis on this with a double negative to address the doubts that we have. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. Why is this? Why is Jesus sympathetic? Why is he affected by our pain? Why can he suffer with us? Well, the verse goes on to say, this is the reason. He was in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. The reason Jesus is sympathetic, the reason he feels our pain, the reason he is affected with our suffering is because he was tempted as we are in every respect Yet without sin, the key to being sympathetic, to suffering with, to feeling with, to having passions with, the reason for sympathy is being tempted, tried, affected by similar trials, having another's experiences. This is how someone is sympathetic. You can be empathetic, try to understand, but unless you have gone through the trials unless you have suffered. I can't be sympathetic. And this is what makes the incarnation so wonderful, marvelous, and necessary. This is because God Himself cannot be tempted, as James 1.13 says, and therefore cannot suffer. Now I think when we read James 1.13 where it says God can't be tempted, I think we automatically read something else. And that is, God can't give in to temptation. But that's not what the verse says. The verse says, He cannot be tempted, period. God is not tempted, because as James will go on to immediately say in that passage, there is no turning of shadow with Him. God is unchangeable. God cannot be other than who He is. God has life in Himself. Therefore, he cannot, he cannot be affected. He cannot be tempted. 
Now, some think, well, God can't be tempted because he's righteous. And of course, that's true. However, was not Jesus altogether righteous? Jesus was without sin. He was righteous. And yet, he was tempted. Now, I want to talk about next sermon, next Lord's Day, what that temptation entailed. But this shows us that temptation happens not because one is not righteous, but because one is a creature and not God. God does not undergo trials. God cannot suffer. God cannot face difficulty. What creature can possibly cause God any difficulty to suffer, to lose any of his eternal blessedness? But Jesus took on our own humanity so that he can be sympathetic, face our temptations and trials, face the things that we experience. While God infinitely knows, he's intimately acquainted with all our ways. There's an infinite knowledge, yet sympathetic to literally suffer with comes according to the human nature that Christ took on. See, God does not need to first suffer or to have an experience before He loves or cares. His love and care come from His infinite nature. He does not need to first have a creaturely experience before He loves or knows. In fact, it was because of His eternal love that He sent His Son to put on our humanity to not only suffer for us, but also with us. We needed a high priest who was like us in every way in order to represent us before God. But that human high priest also needed to know what it was like to go through our sufferings and sorrows so that he would be sympathetic, that he would feel with us. During the sufferings in the 20th century, where the, the Jews faced these atrocities, one of the things that they wanted was a God who could relate to them. And unfortunately, that led them to say errors about God that He can suffer. And of course, people want someone to relate with them. If you understand that we have that in the Incarnation, we have a high priest who put on humanity who is tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, and is therefore sympathetic. He can relate with us. And this shows the glory of the Incarnation. He truly does suffer with us. He knows what it's like to be weak. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be poor. He knows what it's like to suffer according to His human nature. He became weak and poor in order to sympathize with us. The God who could not suffer came to suffer according to His humanity. John Owen says of this in such wonderful words, 
Such was the unspeakable love of Christ to his brothers that he would refuse nothing, no condition that was needful to fit him for the discharge of the work which he had undertaken for them. He knew what this would cost him, what trouble, sorrow, suffering, and that conformity unto them he must undergo, what miseries he must conflict all his with all his life, what woeful temptations he was to pass through. All lay open and naked before him. But such was his love shadowed out for us by that of Jacob to Rachel, that he was content to submit unto any terms, to undergo any condition, so that he might save and enjoy his beloved church. Brothers and sisters, we can approach him with confidence in our weakness. Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, but was tempted in every respect, yet without sin. Next Lord's Day, we'll pick up again with what those temptations were that Jesus faced, and then finish up the last point about our acceptance before the throne of grace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that we would believe these things, that we would come to you even in our sin, and when we've fallen, even after we've fallen the millionth time. Uh, to, el- to whom else do we go? You have the words of eternal life. How can we fight sin apart from you? And so help us to believe in you, to know you, to treasure you. Uh, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.